0: I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready for a university that will help me advance in my education and career.
1: A university that will make me feel supported and connected.
0: I'm ready for ODU Online. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Sacktown Royalty Show. Joining me on the podcast tonight, uh, recurring draft expert Bryant West. Bryant, how's it going?
1: I'm doing great, Tony. How are you?
0: Um, I'm doing pretty good. I, I'm. I feel like I should give you like a thirty seconds to mention that you won the Sacktown Royalty uh, March Madness. <laughs> you won, right? I have that correct.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, only because I got lucky and because I really believed that Michigan was. Uh, Was a really good defense, and that they were ready to uh, to show some people up. But I mean, I'm I'm not going to give myself too much credit for picking Villanova because I think at the end of the day they proved that they were the best team the whole season and kind of just rode that.
0: I um, I enjoy when things work out how they're supposed to though. Like I think uh, oh yeah I think Greg won last year or some or uh, not too long not too many years ago. Greg won, and he like admitted that he didn't watch a single game. So I enjoy when (laughs) the guy who actually pays attention to this stuff year-round, doesn't just jump in when the tournament starts, won the bracket. That makes me happy. So congrats.
1: (laughs) Well, the funny thing is is that my girlfriend only pays attention to college basketball in the sense that she listens to what I say. She hasn't watched a single second with me. And her bracket was better than, like, nine out of the ten people in my work bracket. So... It, it's just as much luck as it is skill. Well, I'm sure she beat me.
0: I think I came in uh, like dead last for us, or, or pretty close to <laughs> dead last. Because I, I mean, one of the many reasons being, I took Michigan State just because of Miles Bridges, um, and that didn't work out for me clearly. But I do blame well, Tom Mizzo, I, my, like the most overrated college basketball coach of all time.
1: Oh God, we will we will talk about that. Um, but my my philosophy with picking um, uh, brackets is just to honestly pick like who I think is the the best NBA talent and that's probably not a great thing like last year I picked Florida State that didn't go well because I like John Isaac so much um and I think the one time it worked for me was when UConn was like a ninth seed and I was like no Kemba Walker's gonna go crazy and that worked out because I won that year um but I mean this year I really only picked Villanova because all season they look like the dominant team and and everybody wanted to to um, pull a Charles Barkley and say, you know what, a team that shoots this well can't shoot this well through six games in a tournament. They'll run into some wall and fade out. And, no, I I really believe in that team, and uh, and it uh, helps that they have Macau Bridges.
0: So yeah, your your boy, um, my boy. I think people enjoy the tournament. I'll say that first. I think people enjoy the tournament because there's a lot of upsets. But from someone like myself who's really only interested in the prospects, most of them got knocked out in the first two rounds.
1: No, it wasn't. you know what? Even for me, I've watched probably 60% of those games. And even for me, I, I, this tournament wasn't what I was hoping for, mainly because we didn't get those matchups we wanted. Like, I I, I so wanted Duke and Michigan State. And I'm never going to forgive Tom Izzo for that.
0: Yeah, that would have been awesome.
1: I. I really wanted Arizona, Kentucky, and and Calipari just said nope, we're not going to give Aiton, uh the ball over dump offs because he's getting doubled. Uh, I really wanted Villanova, Duke in the final game, but no, nah, no, Kansas had to win, and because <laughs> because this was a tournament of just coaches that just were not optimizing their star big men. It
0: really was. No, the, uh, it's so annoying. Yeah. Syracuse beating, like, just suffocating Michigan State. I think I only watched like four or five more games after that, and they were mostly just a villain over so I could watch Bridges. Yeah. But, um, that game frustrated me so much that I was like, alright, I, I can't. I don't know how much oh. I can
1: watch yeah, this. Yeah, that was definitely the worst game of the tournament. And 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 it's not fair because it's, like, it's cool that Syracuse is so dedicated to their system that they're gonna play this every year, and, and their zone defense is, is cool to see, like, one team do and kind of a hey, grander scheme of basketball thing. But, god damn, their games are just not enjoyable to watch. No, They're was, just not. Correct. That game was so boring. Duke-Syracuse uh, was so boring. It's just, it's not fun basketball.
0: That's a good little segue into uh, the first question I sent you earlier today. Is just, you know, we talked about how the a lot of the prospects got eliminated pretty early. But did anyone in your mind, like, help their draft stock with how they played in the tournament? Not really
1: helped. I mean, I, I think nobody uh-huh. in the top ten really. Nobody in the top ten really helped themselves. Um, it doesn't say that everybody played poorly. I think the two bridges both had some great moments, and Marvin Bagley was solid um, up until the uh, the Kansas game. But for the most part, these weren't the games you'd watch if you wanted to examine the prospects at their peak strengths. Um, I I don't really know that I think anybody hurt themselves either. Um, like. Aiden had I think this game was kind of a crux for a- Aiden because he had some he had some he, it was a mediocre offensive game uh, for anybody who didn't watch. The, the Arizona lost in the first round to Buffalo and they had no reason to lose to Buffalo because while Buffalo is this super fast, guard-heavy team, they they I think their biggest guy was like 6-9 and had no business guarding uh Aiden, but he missed some bunny shots and Buffalo kept trying to front him. And why Arizona's guards didn't just keep lobbing him the ball, I'll never know. But the game also showcased his ugly defensive warts. I mean, a wing, Jeremy Harris, kept driving by him time and time again on baseline drives. And and a guy with Aiton's wingspan, and speed should not get beaten off the dribble so easily time and time again, and offer nothing as a recovery shot blocker. And as uh, as bullish I am, as I am on a on Aiden, with a guy with his motor on offense and and the physical tools he has, I mean, I, I think he'll figure it out at least how to become an average defender at worst, but it it was just annoying to see, a guy so far behind on defense than he is on offense. And you'd think that we'd get used to that with these freshmen who come in and have never been expected to play defense before. And suddenly have to play on the whole side of the court that they've never had to before. But that, that certainly was the most annoying loss to me was eight losing that soon. Cause again, it would have been great to see him and play Kentucky and just the, more chances to watch a guy with his, physical tool set playing college would would have been great. But, no, it, that was just an atrocious
0: game. What about Michael Porter? I think when we talked last, there was still speculation of if he was going to play or not. Uh, I could be wrong yeah. about that, though. And he did play. Um, he didn't really do much of anything, and now, you know, you're seeing, like, mock drafts start to slide him down a little bit. Like, he was top one, two, three for most of the season while he wasn't playing, and now you're seeing him as low as, like, five or six in some places. But does does him coming back and not performing well affect your opinion on Porter at all?
1: Not really. I, I applaud his decision to come back, whether that was to try and, and lead this team that he'd signed up to lead. Because um, they were kind of injured. And, and one of their other guys, I forget the guy's name, but he got busted for DUI before the tournament. So they weren't really at full strength. So it, it, I applaud that he tried. Um, and if he came back just to try to boost his draft stock, I pl- applaud him for that too. Cause you know, go get your money kid. Um, I'm not going to judge him on those two games. Mainly because I, it really you cannot look at Michael Porter and say, that is the dude that we saw in college. He was clearly, uh, I think he was overweight. He was definitely slower than he w- was um, last season or at the beginning of the season. And, and he hadn't, practiced with the team enough to be um, to have developed the chemistry that you need to, to plan an NCAA tournament team. Um, And I hope that all these rumblings that we're hearing from mock drafts and ESPN about concerns of his fit and commitment to winning are smoke screens because that's just vehemently unfair to a a young kid. Um, His fit in the modern NBA game. I don't know. Um, Like I said, I I don't want to ding him too much for those two games. With his shooting ability, the solid enough defensive commitment he showed in high school, his fluid athleticism, when he's healthy, I think he is probably the best fit for the Kings of anybody in this draft. He'd be a risk that I'd be all in on the Kings gambling on, and the kings have shown that they're willing to make those gambles before like harry giles is a, is a king for a reason so if if michael porter's stock really is that dinged it's a good thing for the kings cuz if he puts them in the convers- if he ends up in the conversation for the sixth pick that's great for sacramento it truly is
0: yeah i mean even uh, you you mentioned the um harry giles pick but i'd even throw someone like you know it was a weak draft but Yorgos Papayannis was, like, a risky pick, too. Like, you can even you can say that yeah. Vlade liked him, but it, just in terms of, like, not being afraid to get your guy by any means necessary or whatever, drafting Papayannis that high was a ballsy, risky pick. It, like, again, it didn't work, but it shows you, again, like you said with Giles, that they're not afraid to kind of think outside the box and sort of, or, or like, not go for the safe play. Um, at least yeah, Vlade, Vlade,
1: Vlade has his dudes.
0: Yeah. Vlade's got his guys. Definitely. If he believes in a guy,
1: he will go all in on that guy.
0: Now... Tim Maxwell, uh, blessed him. Everyday updates our little draft draft board tracker, and uh, we asked him before we started the podcast, kind of where the um, the Kings' draft range is looking at right here, like the most likely scenario for where the Kings are picking, provided they don't jump up in the lottery, which is it's very realistic that they do. Uh, right now, they're kind of in that six to seven <laughs> range, but I mean, I was looking at the like the tank of tankathon uh, odds, and it's like. If you're drafting sixth in the lottery, you still got a 20% chance of going top three. That's not insignificant at all. That's a pretty pretty decent odds. Like, I'll take those chances. Who do you like in that range there?
1: Well, this, is, this might be a little breaking news, but it looks like Brooklyn's going to beat Milwaukee. Oh, really? So that gives the Kings, yeah, they're up right now with 12 seconds to go. So that might give the Kings a little comfort room to keep that sixth pick unless they win tomorrow in Memphis. Very, very possible, yeah. Yeah, very possible. Um, In in the six to seven range, you know, I'm. (laughs) Where does it always come back to me? All roads lead back to Macau. Um, But I've said enough about him. We'll talk about him later. Um, Miles Bridges is certainly deserving to be in that conversation. Um, I don't see a world where Jaron Jackson Jr. is there at right now but I mean crazier things have happened he'd be fantastic Marvin Bagley I, I, I like Marvin Bagley a lot more than a lot of the experts right now um, and of course you got to have Mo Bamba in that conversation even though it's funny to me that it seems the entire Sacramento fan base is lower on Bomba than I think the rest of the nation is so it in the entirety of this season I have kept myself saying when the Kings win games, mainly because they're when they win games, they're fun. These young guys are fun to watch win games. It's fun to see the Kings taking playoff teams into, into close games, even if they lose and when they win, it's great. But I truly think this is an eight deep class and eight or nine, depending on what you think about uh, miles bridges. And it's it, the Kings will have somebody in their pick range that will be a good fit and has the potential to at least be a secondary, tertiary scorer on offense or a really good defender or both. So I, I think this is f- great for Sacramento. Where they are right now might not be where many fans want them to be, But this draft class is deep enough that it can survive the crazy onslaught of tanking that has happened over the past two months.
0: So tell me if this is fair, because I Mm -hmm. I agree with you, and I think for as much as we've talked about tanking this past month, and we've talked about it a lot, I don't know that there's like a dramatic difference between picking three and like seven. From everything I'm reading and seeing, and you may have a different opinion on this, it seems like Aiton and and Luca are going to be tough to get if you're drafting anywhere other than one or two. Yeah, um, but from there, yep. it almost seems like you're talking like team preference. Like, I, like would I be shocked if Jaron Jackson dropped to six? Uh, a lot of mocks have him much higher than six, but from my perspective, watching Jaron Jackson. He, he wasn't great in the tournament, and I do blame Izzo. No, definitely not. Izzo is, I don't like his. I, um, I have a vendetta against Izzo for the time being. And his, <laughs> and his numbers aren't, again, college numbers are, are what they are, especially on Michigan State where the, the front court was stacked and, and Jaron Jackson didn't get a ton yeah. of touches. But the numbers aren't necessarily, like, they don't blow you away. The blocks do, and, and I'm sure the advanced stats are very kind to Jaron Jackson because I know the Stepian geniuses are, uh. are high on Jaron Jackson. Maybe they're not. But is that like a... A uh, fair assessment that, you know, the difference between three and seven is not like the end of the world?
1: I, it, For me, it, the difference stops at five, maybe six. Depends on how I feel about Marvin Bagley on the day. Because for me, the top tier is Don Kitch and eight. And then the second tier is Porter, JJJ, and Bagley. And, I, and, the, and that would leave the Kings looking on the outside in on the top two tiers for me. Now that necessarily doesn't mean that uh, Mo Bamba won't go ahead of that and knock one of those guys down. Porter could end up at six. I guess Jaron Jackson could end up at six. Bagley could end up at six, although I'm a little hesitant to see that one. So I think that's a fair thing to say. It, it really does come down to team. Like more so than the last couple of years, I agree this is going to be volatile. And it's too early to call it until we get a little closer to the draft and and things start cementing and we really understand what the teams think of these guys. But I I agree that's a fair assessment.
0: So you would take uh, pretty confidently you would take Jackson Bagley and Porter over Bridges if all you know all four of them obviously yeah. wouldn't be available. But that you would take them all over Bridges. Yes, I would. Okay, that's interesting. I I, I don't know if I would have predicted you saying that.
1: No, I, I I am very high on McAlbride's. I, um, I, I I've certainly said it enough times. I think that he has the potential to be a star role player and and a top ten defender at his position. It, it being his position being a wing, not just small forwards, but um, Porter and Bagley both have the shot of being a. Top offensive player, and Jaron Jackson Jr. is just a unicorn in the old label, and just a, a game-changing post defender. So it's it. I can't. I couldn't, in good conscience, take McHale over those guys.
0: I got my first real look at Mikhail throughout the tournament. I'm, I may have watched like one and a half Villanova games before the tournament started. Last time we spoke, I, had, <laughs> I had, that was as the extent of what I've seen of him, and. I've become a believer, for sure. I mean, watching him even in that first game, I think it was Alabama? Um, Or maybe that was their second game. And watching him pick up up Sexton full court, that's some serious, like, not just defensive skill, but defensive desire. I mean, maybe it was a scheme thing and, you know, Jay Jay Wright told him, hey, you know, pick up Sexton full court. But Bridges was hounding Colin Sexton. And for a a wing to do that to a point guard, like, we talk about... Defenders who can defend every position all the time. You know, that was a big topic of discussion when Willie Cauley-Stein was coming out. Like, oh, here's a guy you Mm -hmm. can legitimately guard one through five or whatever. But uh, Bridges looks like a a game-changing defensive player. And for a team like the Kings, who desperately need that sort of player out on the wing, because Bogdan Bogdanovich has been pretty good on defense this year. And and I think even Buddy Heal has made improvements on that end. But Mm -hmm. they could seriously use like a lockdown. They don't have anyone to guard the opposing team's best perimeter player yet i think that's a fair assessment and i think bridges can certainly be that guy or if you're drafting him in the top 10 you certainly hope he's that guy
1: that's what villanova did pretty much all year they put bridges on the best um wing or guard uh opponent and sometimes even forwards because mccall is pretty tall he's six eight um and what's interesting coming from you having just watched him what he was certainly had strong moments in this tournament, mostly coming in that twenty-one point second half barrage against Alabama. Um, for the most part, he played his usual stout defense, and like you said, the, the versatile weapon that he is is game-changing at the college level, and will will be very. Uh, Kings could use a, a dynamic perimeter defender, like you said, and don't have to sell anymore on the defense. The end result being a championship for a team that he pretty much co leads speaks really loudly for a player banking on his intangibles and nine 19 points on seven to 12 from the field four or five from three against a tremendous defensive team in the championship is pretty damn good that said if you're of the opinion and there's a lot of people in the king's fandom who are of this opinion that he's a purely system player i don't think this tournament probably dissuaded that belief he vanished at times throughout the tournament when the offensive engine just kept chugging along just fine. Um, and that speaks to how deep Villanova is. Uh, half his shots in the tournament were threes, which is a great thing for efficiency, but not really for armchair scouts who keep asking me, why why are you taking a guy top six when he's he's just shooting and he's not really attacking the rim? And, and he did have some bad defensive miscues in the championship. Like, there were times where he just was not good on defense in the championship. Um, I've seen a lot of chatter in the comments threads on Sackdown Royalty lately about how high he should really go in this class. And despite what I just said about his tournament run, he's sixth on my board. He's not moving. I don't accept the low floor, high ceiling label because it implies that his potential isn't worth gambling on. And I absolutely think it is. Was Chris Middleton a low ceiling player? was Otto Porter or Trevor Ariza, those kings would, the Kings would kill for a two-way player like that. And I continue to believe that with his shooting ability and defensive ability, he's one of the safest players in the class. And I don't think you can write his driving ability off as a lost cause. He was 98th percentile for pick and rolls, according to Synergy, and he shot 80% on rolls that took him to the basket. This, like he, You can have concerns that he won't be able to get to the basket as easily in the NBA while admitting he was pretty damn good when he got to the basket. And he had some really strong drives at the rim at the championship. Hat tip to our buddy Roar Dog, who pulled some of his best plays into gift form in the championship game thread. And given his growth curve over the last few years, I'm much more willing to trust McCall to learn how to drive and improve his flexibility strength so that he can finish stronger at the rim than I am in, say, confident in trusting that Sacramento is the situation that lights Obama's fire and makes him a consistent worker. So I, I don't agree that Mo, that Macau is this this you're settling or that he doesn't deserve to be in the six or seven range. He's that good a shooter. He's that good a defender. And those are two things the Kings really need.
0: I believe in his defense more than I believe in his offense. And I think that's like the least hot take of the century. That's I feel very like that's, fair. Yeah, I feel like that's his, that's the thing with Bridges right now is like, very good defensor, defender, good offensive player, but questions about his ceiling on that end. And, and I'm of the belief that the Kings, for as bad as they've been, Defensively this season, I think they need more on offense. Uh, Go to well, scoring. We've talked about that before, but and that's why that's more or less why I'd still take Bagley or Porter over Bridges. You still you have those guys over yeah. Bridges too, so that's not a you know a, an unpopular yeah. opinion either.
1: But I also want to point out, like, let's say that he never becomes an NBA level driver, and that he never develops the the creation skills that he needs to become uh, a, a secondary primary score the, he's that good a shooter he's 98th percentile on spot-ups he shot i think it was like something crazy like 42 percent on the last two years combined from three-point attempts he's 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 shooting great off movement he's solid off the bounce he's learning to use streams and just go back and look at his shots in the championship The dude's leaning sideways on threes and he's got he's six eight Super long arms, really quick shot. He's just going to be a deadly shooter. So even if you don't think he ever turns into a, a an insane creation guy like a Klay Thompson, it's fine. He's going to be a really, really good shooter. And it really kind of gets my goat when people are like, well, is he really any better than Je- Justin Jackson as a scorer? Yeah, he really is. Well, yeah, He's Jackson a great can't... shooter.
0: Jackson has not yeah. proven himself as a shooter at all. Yeah, um,
1: Mikhail Bridges is a great shooter. And while I agree his offensive ceiling is not as high as the other guys until he, or it, unless he gets those other creation abilities, I don't think that holds him back from deserving mention in the top six or seven in this class.
0: I think he's like a great fit with De'Aaron Fox and Bogdan Bogdanovich. Because oh, those, yes. those are two Absolutely. guys that will like... The Kings having Bogdanovich at shooting guard. I don't know if people realize how much of a luxury having that sort of creativity uh, as a second guard is. And they actually, the Kings fans actually should really appreciate this because we've just we're coming off of like what was it four years of Ben McLemore as your starting shooting guard, a guy who can <laughs> barely dribble the ball and has no creation ability whatsoever as a as like the secondary guard. And now they've got two guys in De'Aaron Fox and Bogdan Bogdanovich who can create very confident ball handlers. And if you are of the mind that, you know, Mikhail is, is going to be an off-the-ball kind of scorer, spot-up shooter, whatever, and not so much of a give me the ball, I'm going to go to the rim or playmake, that's an excellent fit with De'Aaron Fox and Bogdan yeah. Bogdanovich. But the Kings front court is such a mess right now of uncertainty that it's like, well, then you're really relying on the front court to give you more points, uh, some like uh, like some go-to options at the front court, which they don't have yet. But, you know, <laughs> hypothetical maybe they bring in randall or aaron gordon and then you kind of round out your ability to score with someone like that so i love the fit with bridges and fox and bogdanovich and i have no yeah. problem if the king's took him at six but i do understand the offensive yeah. concerns
1: well and i think what you just said is a reason that i understand your miles bridges love because it it like, it surrounds fox with as many shooters as possible that's what you need to do But let's also admit that the Kings two best prospects going forward are their guards. Let's not bring Harry Giles into this conversation because let's not get crazy. But after six or so, and if you are of the opinion that Jaron Jackson Jr. and Marvin Bagley will be gone by then, that's leaving the best bigs up to Mo Bamba, um, Wendell Carter, and, Miles Bridges, because I think Miles Bridges probably ends up more as a four in the NBA than a three if you're going by positional things. And I've written enough about how no team should try to box him into positional stuff, because otherwise you're just losing half of his value. Mm-hmm. But he certainly can play more to big lineups than McCall can, because six 6'8", but he's like 200 pounds and that was a serious critique i had of justin jackson last year so it miles certainly mccall helps if you want to surround fox with shooters miles helps if you want to seriously improve your i don't know if rebounding is going to be his great strength in the nba because he's not really tall but he's certainly athletic enough to go up and battle for the boards um, and, and if your goal is to help lineups where, I mean, maybe he's even a five in a really small ball lineup, who knows, but it's a more of a positional versatility on the big end where Mikal is more positional versatility on the wing.
0: This is kind of a, a little bit of a sidestep here, but I think it's kind of relevant. When we're talking about draft drafting players. Do you think Buddy Heald and Bogdan and Bogdan Magdanovic and Darren Fox should just start and play together? Like what if oh, they put from right goes, now to the end of season? No, I mean like moving forward. Like Buddy Hield has been really good. We're going into this draft with team needs being pretty clear. They need more in the front court, and they need a true small forward or someone like Mikel Bridges, right? But mm-hmm. what if what if Buddy Heald and Bogdan Bogdanovich and De'Aaron Fox are those three starting you know perimeter players? Jaeger has seemed reluctant to do that, but if that is the the scenario moving forward, like I wonder if that affects anything with how, with how they approach the draft.
1: Um, I- it, it defensive lineups are really interesting because he always, he's a guy that seems to think that you always have to have two bigs in terms of, he prefers two big lineups. I think that's fair, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. And I don't know that he'll ever go with those three guys because that's going to, but he's improved as a defender. Bogdan is a very willing and smart defender and we both think that Fox can become a very good defender as he learns and kind of fills up to his to his body. But that's still really, really small. Yeah. And sure. while that's fine on offense, that's going to put a lot on your big guys. And that might work if they end up in, getting Jaron Jackson Jr. Like, that is an optimal lineup right there, is Fox surrounded by bogey buddy and jaron jackson junior shooters oh you can just add anybody else on that fourth spot and that offense is going to have so much spacing it's going to be incredible but you need in a lineup like that a really good rim protector because bogey's going to be beaten by the bigger wings that he has to guard they he's going to get beaten up he's like i don't know what they have enlisted, but he's like six more so that's giving up a lot of size, and that's going to be putting a lot of um, a need on your bigs that I don't think our current big lineup can handle.
0: I just think Buddy has been uh, so impressive during the second half of the season that, like, are we comfortable already claiming that his ceiling is a sixth man? And I'm not saying this is a reason to to draft mm. or not draft Mikael Bridges. I'm just thinking like. How do we optimize the Kings' assets right now? Because like, I'm kind yeah. of of the mind that Miles and Mikael, to me, I know I'm kind of out on an island on this, are nearly the same in terms of value. Like, I, I almost think you can go need there. That's how high I am on Miles, for the reasons we've talked about before, but I'll just briefly touch on them now. Like, I love his physicality uh, above the rim. It's like something the Kings don't necessarily have. Super aggressive. I actually think his defense is better than some people give it credit for. Um, I'm not saying he's a great defender, but, you know, he has, again, it's like a cliche, but I think he has all the tools to be, like, a pretty solid defender. I think he plays very hard. Uh, I think he has as much leadership qualities as you can ask for. You always see him on the bench cheering his team on. Very excited to other guys make plays. Not that that's unique to Miles. That's how an NBA player should be, but I think there's some intangibles there. Just watching Michigan State this year that, that I like about Miles. And, you know, we've heard Jaeger say Maybe more than anything else he's repeated this season is that his team needs to play tougher. He's called them soft. So many things that make you think that he's, like, sending a message to the front office. Like, uh, I think Paul Westfall used to do this all the time where it's like, get me... Or was it Michael Malone, I think, actually, where he's like, you're trading away all my defenders or get me more defenders. It seems like... Uh, that was,
1: I think it was Michael. Yeah, it was
0: Michael. I feel like Jaeger's yeah. doing a little bit of that where it's like, man, we need toughness. We need toughness. We need toughness. And I feel like yeah. Miles Bridges is that kind of, like bully, tough, get-me-the-ball-confident kind of guy, and that's why I've always sort of liked him as a as a fit for the Kings, and in my head, I'm kind of, you know, playing this scenario out. well, all right, maybe Buddy Heald is better than a sixth man, and I don't know if playing Buddy Heald and Bogdan Bogdanovic and De'Aaron Fox is optimal, especially on defense, but you had Miles Bridges at power forward, like, maybe you don't need to go get a wing in the draft. Maybe you don't need Mikael Bridges. Maybe you can get a big there instead, because there are the front court, like we said, is kind of a, a questionable mess right now. So that's that's why I brought up the Buddy Heel thing because I think saying he's a sixth man in year two might be uh, selling him a little bit short.
1: I don't think it's fair to call Buddy the sixth man when he's like the second or third best player on this team, right? <laughs> um, it and and it kind of does positionally suck that he's the same position as Bogey, um, but. Uh, a lineup like that of Fox, Bogey, Buddy, and Miles Bridges would be super fun on offense. And I understand why you'd be excited about it. But then again, you have to get a dynamic rib protector. You just have to. Because there are going to be power forwards that Miles Bridges can't defend. There are going to be wings that Bogey and Buddy can't defend. So I, I I would really really worry about that defensively. But like you said, it, now that you're saying it, I kind of do see Miles Bridges as a as a Jaeger kind of guy.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he likes that. I don't know. There's something about the way Miles like the way Miles is that I feel like Jaeger. Oh God. I don't want to say he's Just Matt imagine. Barnes and Zach Randolph, but he's got kind of like some similar toughness, like raw raw qualities about him that I feel like Jaeger for some reason loves.
1: I was just going to say, imagine Jaeger just saying, okay, you see all of these uh, plays we ran for Zach Randolph last year? Those are yours now.
0: Miles would like it. Miles would certainly love oh, the Miles touches. would love it. Collapse, collapse the four on the other side of the court and
1: just let Miles try to go one on one with the guy.
0: No, I, I agree with you. I think that would be a very irresponsible defensive lineup to put out there. I just feel like there's an issue approaching the Kings as they continue to develop. With Buddy Hield and Bogdan Bogdanovic, I don't know how you remedy that. And to Buddy's credit, he's been very, he's been fantastic this year. About coming off the bench, he has told Jaeger that like it was a good move to put him off the bench. He's very comfortable there. But I do wonder if we reach a point here if he keeps improving, where you got to figure out something else between in that backcourt.
1: Yeah, I agree. Buddy's just too good. He really is the the growth that he's shown over the last two months has really been insane, and it probably changes some things. But to go back to Miles for a second, I, I as I've been preaching with McCall, the you know versatility of his defense, I think it's very fair to do the same for Miles, not in terms of defense, but more on offense, but also on defense. Like if you take Miles Bridges with. The intent to do one thing or another with your lineup, you think you're missing the force for the treat. Miles Bridges has versatility on both ends and can play next to a lot of guys. Whether that's with Buddy and Bogey together, or whether it's with one of them, or whether it's you, you, you can swap a bunch of things. Right. And and Yeager's talked a lot about you know being able to do different things with lineup versatility. And that'd be kind of fun to see. I mean, I, I, I've been, I was more confident that the deserved the better Bridges label back when we talked in February. Miles' creation skill really did go crazy over the last two months. And I, I don't, I mean, that game against Bucknell was an incredible display of the scoring abilities. I don't know that he's a primary scorer. I'm less confident in his ability to be an efficient secondary offense than I am McHale because McHale just such an efficient scorer. But there's no denying that he deserves to be in this conversation. A, a player with his physicality, three-way scoring ability, and his leaping ability will present a smart team with a versatile talent who can impact the game on both ends. And if he's a game's pick, I won't be upset, even if it's over Macau. He'd be He'd be a lot of fun to run with the other young guys.
0: And I'll say this as a Miles Bridges uh, supporter: um, he's certainly not without warts. His shot selection can be pretty atrocious at times. He certainly relies on a uh, inconsistent jump shot more than I'd like to see. I also think, again, I keep harping on Izzo. It was a
1: tough um, Izzo. It was
0: a tough Michigan I, State team for all the big. I feel like they all got shortchanged to some degree. Yeah. Besides Nick Ward, who could get who could do no wrong. Results. Yeah,
1: no. That was the problem. Nick, Tom Izzo deciding that Nick Ward needed to be as high on the hierarchy as Jaron Jackson Jr. and Miles Bridges really was what set everything back because it pushed Miles to the to the perimeter all the time. It pushed Jaron Jackson Jr. to perimeter a lot of the time. It, it, Tom Izzo boxed these guys in two roles, and it was incredibly frustrating on both ends. Like I think I tweeted this out, and and put it in my column. Jaron Jackson Jr. seven feet, what I think he's seven feet one. Super long arms, smart player, developing offensive talent. He took a grand total of thirty post ups this season. That's incredible. Yeah. How do you not have a big guy in the post more than that? Oh right, because he's got to play Nick. He's got to play Nick Ward.
0: Got to play Nick Ward.
1: Yeah, Tom Izzo did not make me a happy basketball watcher this year.
0: Uh, I would agree with that 100%. The Kings do have a second-round pick. Right now it's uh, 36th overall. I'm going to be honest in telling you that I could not name you a target that I'm like, I wish I got this guy. But I am assuming you have somebody in the second round that you like.
1: Yeah. Um, I like Chandler Hutchinson from Boise State. Um, I've got him in the mid-teens right now, um, but I see ESPN still got him in the thirties. So if he's there in the second round, absolutely great sh- sh- shooting big man. Um, kind of a uh, he's he's not the defender or shooter that uh, McCall is, and he's certainly not the athlete that Miles is. But he'd be a really solid another solid wing. Um, I think he's same kind of thing that Jer- that Justin Jackson is. So I'd like him just give another shooter this guy to this team. Um Rich Wagner from Michigan. Uh, he had a really good tournament. He had a really good end of the season. Stretch forward big guy if they uh if they take Jaron Jackson Junior or Bamba or something. Um I think my favorite is Ruri Hachimura. From Gonzaga, which feels weird for me to say that. Yeah, that is as uh, a St. Mary's guy. Yeah, yeah it's just it, it's weird, but he's easily my favorite Gonzaga prospect over the last couple of years. He's he's a physical beast, and he's his IQ is not what it needs to be right now. But he's tr- he tries so hard on both ends, and he just when he gets rolling, he just decimates guys. Like six nine, I think, but he's just a really big guy who can run both ends of the court. Um, I don't think he'll probably come to this, to this draft class. Probably has to stay one more year to taunt me and and crush St. Mary's hopes and dreams. Uh, but if he does and he's there, like that's a 3-4 that offers a lot of versatility on both ends. You just might have to wait a
0: year or two. I'm going to move on to some uh, Twitter questions here to close the show. and uh, Some of these are kind of fun, but we can kind of blast through them. Someone wants to hear more about Mobamba. I haven't talked about him a whole lot because uh, I feel like anything I say about him is kind of negative and and kind of unfair because I haven't watched him play a ton. So I, I don't want to like go hard on this guy who I, I haven't really watched more than I don't know three or four times this year, um, including the tournament. Let's pretend the Kings draft Mobamba. Is that not disappointing pick for you? It's not disappointing because I think his. His ceiling is as high
1: as most of the players in this class. Like he's not eight, but if he hits that ceiling, he's going to be really good. Like I, I, I don't have to sell you on the value of a six eleven dude with a seven nine wingspan, who can run with most forwards, loves to block shots, he changes the gravity of the court defensively both by being a dynamic health protector and just by scaring the living hell out of anybody that comes by him in the post. If his motor gets fine-tuned in the NBA, he can be as good as anybody in this class. And he had highlights against Nevada in the tournament, including, like, in in his first couple of minutes of the game, he had a block that only he could make. He collapsed in from the elbow and just makes this insane block that nobody else, I think, besides maybe... Rudy Gobert and maybe Anthony Davis could make and very next play he got on the low post did the spin move drilled his guy to the ground and dunked so casually so I, I get why people are excited about Mobamba, but smaller opponents were still guys on Nevada were able to move him around the post they snagged rebounds that he that never should have been in the conversation should just all go to Mo Bamba. and his effort well great when it was hot, it fluctuated throughout the game. And that was just the story of the season. The dude makes Willie Cauley Stein look consistent. And <laughs> after three years, Willie, three years of waiting for the real
0: Willie... That's
1: Three years of waiting for the real Willie Cauley Stein to show up, I'm very wary of buying in on another big man with insane tools who might not be motivated if he's not in the right situation. And you can't convince me that Sacramento is guaranteed to be that right situation. Maybe Yeager gets in his head and, and, and helps him get to that level, but uh, Sacramento's not going to be great next year. He might not be engaged. It, it's going to take a very specific coach and a very specific situation to guarantee that is going to reach that ceiling, and I'm less confident in him reaching whatever his ceiling is than the other nine guys, I'd consider in the top of this class. So I'm lower on Bamba than some. He's eighth on my board, um, but I mean, if the Kings pick him, I'm I'm going to sell myself on it pretty quick because there are tons of reasons to like him. But there's also tons of reasons to worry about him.
0: The Kings, to me, desperately need like some stabilization in the front court. Willie Cauley Stein. Don't know what that guy is. Scalabousier. Don't know what he is. Giles have less idea than the other two what he is. And adding another kind of questionable talent like Bamba would frustrate frustrate me like crazy. But I, I don't know if this is actually like the worst place for him. Jaeger was in Memphis throughout Marcus Hull's best years. Zach Randolph and Costa Kufus, if Kufus opts in. Jaeger, Kufus, and Randolph is not the worst trio for a guy like Mo Bamba to kind of learn what the NBA is like and how to be professional. So I I don't know if it's, like, the worst fit or pick in the world, but for me, I like what I've seen from Miles Bridges so much, and I, you know, if if they passed up on both Bridges to get Bomba, I would be pretty disappointed. I just like those guys better. Yeah.
1: I I have to go back and watch a couple more Miles Bridges and Bomba games, but I will not be surprised if Miles passes Bomba next time I update my board.
0: That question was from kings_ uh 1052 on Twitter and he also was wondering what would happen if the best player available for the Kings is a point guard. I guess we're talking about Trey Young here. Um yeah. I don't yeah. think we'll be in a situation where the best player available is Trey Young, but that speaks more to my opinion of Trey Young. Hypothetically, what if the uh what if Trey Young's the best player available for the Kings? Let's yeah. say like I, I I agree. Well,
1: let's say the Kings most likely player for the Kings right now is Six, I think. Especially with that net loss, um, so my answer for the Trey Young question is the same. It's been for months. I don't think he's clearly the best player available until nine or so. And and I, this is coming from a guy who's pretty high on Trey compared to others, according to the handy table. Our buddy Brett Huff updates. ESPN has him nine right now. Sports Illustrated got him nine. Sam bassini has got him eleven. Um, hmm, I that's lower than I would have co- thought.
0: That's yeah.
1: I think massini has got Colin Sexton ahead of Trey right now, which I can't agree with at all. So I don't feel like I'm low on Young when I say I've got him at seventh. But at seven, he's in the tier with with both Bridges, with Bamba, and maybe with Wendell Carter, depending on how high you are with him. And two of those guys will be there at six or seven, unless something crazy and somebody else falls down, and then you know you're not going to take Trey Young over uh, Marvin Bagley or something. So I don't agree with the idea that there's a chance that young is the clear definitive best player available. I, I, I don't agree with that. Young wasn't young the past, the last two months of the season, but it's also important to point out team construct, his role. You got the green light because nobody else on that team was that good. Like they would have been an NIT loser without young, yada, yada, yada. I defended him because I think a dude who can shoot as well as he can and pass as well as he can deserves some faith in the draft process. But it's also fair to say that Young is as streaky a shooter as there is in this class, maybe in the last couple of classes, and he's an absolute negative on defense. He's either going to have to be on a great defensive team that can hide him properly, or he's going to have to work to outscore his assignment every night, because are just going to run at him and swing the ball to his man as often as they can. And that right there is what keeps him from being the definitive best player available over any of the other guys in the Kings range. And, and once you get past the BPA argument, then you come to fit. And, and if you're taking Trey, you've got to play him. You can't just accumulate these players in, in a vacuum and hope it works out. You have to play Trey with the current roster. And that comes head-to-head with Fox, who I believe is the best potential talent the Kings have. And playing Fox off-ball is not tenable. Playing young off-ball isn't tenable unless it's a very special circumstance named LeBron James. So I don't agree that Young will be the best player available in the Kings' range. Given their roster construction, he's a pass for me, and I really do like Young. I think he'll be a great player if he lands in the right spot, but that's not Sacramento.
0: Best player yeah, available no. aside, I just cannot wrap my head around spending that pick on Trey Young. If they didn't yeah. draft the Aaron Fox. And- from the little I've seen of Trey Young, comparing him to Stephen Curry is completely unfair because Curry's the greatest shooter of all time, basically. You know, you know he's right yeah. there with the best shooters ever. But if you told me, like, if someone was really high on Trey Young and they told me, like, hey, Trey Young is going to be the next, like, Damian Lillard, I don't think he's going to be, but if he develops into a fringe all-star elite scoring guard, would I be shocked? No, I, I wouldn't I be I think that's shocked. a better
1: comp anyway.
0: Yeah. So I say this because there's a, kind of a lot of love from Trey Young from Kings fans that I've noticed. Maybe you've seen something different, but it seems like there's a lot of interest no. in Trey Young as a prospect. And I don't think that love is Definitely. like unwarranted, but I just can't—I can't wrap my head around drafting after you just pick the Aaron Fox. I can't get there. Yeah.
1: No, I think the only way that you can sell yourself on that is if you really don't think Fox has been what you expected this year. And Fox has been exactly what I expected this year. Well, and I mean, I didn't see him hitting, being number one in the NBA in clutch percentage, right. like
0: winning five games but- on his own. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no. Like I, I have complete faith in Fox up to this point. So there's, there's no Trey Young is not going to be, and I'm not the Kings. I can't say this. Maybe they've got him third on their board. He's not going to be the best player available in their range. He's just not. This class is too deep with players that are arguably better than him, and are much better fits
0: for Sacramento. Speaking to my point of Kings fans being interested in Trey Young, Greg D S eighty asks, is there any scenario you'd take Trey Young in the seven eight range, uh if Mikhail is gone? No. We kind of already answered that, but I think the answer is kinda of no for yeah. both of us there. Yep. Nope, not for us. Kings Dundee asked or I guess it's more of a statement that we can kind of bounce off of, but uh Wenzel Carter, absolutely nothing but a gut feeling but I think he's possibly a better NBA prospect than every other big in this draft. Brian, what say you about Wendell Carter? No, thank you. Um, you know what? In a in, in normal
1: class, I think he'd go much higher than this because it is fair to say that this is a really big dominant class. Um, and and he said he's a smart player. He beat college guys by making the right decisions on both ends consistently. He makes good passes off of his drives and doubles, and, and he doesn't take bad shots. Um, I said this in one of my articles last week. Jaron Jackson Jr. is the best defensive awareness of the bigs, but Carter has the best offensive awareness, I think. Uh, He's probably the smartest big in the lottery, but then you come to how he's going to be utilized in the NBA on defense, and I get really worried. He's not this super slow athlete, but in a game that's changing to a Big With Carter's physical profile has a distinct disadvantage in the smaller, faster NBA. He's a very solid post up defender, capable enough rim protector. He can he was able to body off bigs and wall them off and I and hopefully a weight an NBA weight room can find the right balance of strength and weight control to give him more burst. But like Duke's decision to switch to zone defense was not just because of Bagley. Carter really struggled in pick-and-rolls against speedy rim-runners. And he's a high IQ player, so it's fair to think that he'll find ways to become a solid defensive player. But without the tools that Bagley, Aiton, Jaron Jackson Jr., or Lone Bombay have, he's got way less room for error. And that's why I've got those four guys over him.
0: Just watching Wendell Carter, I got the sense that he'd be like a really good second-best big in your front court. Like you said, Carter— to me, it looked like a very smart player. I thought he was a pretty good passer, and just kind of knowing his role on offense. If you watched him off the ball, he would kind of give Bagley his space, get out of the way when players were driving. I thought it was a very like a, a very heady offensive big man. And if he's like your not your go-to front court guy, but if he's your secondary option in the front court, um, I think that's a really nice spot for Wendell Carter. But I, looking at how the draft orders, gonna shake out, I don't see him being like a super realistic option at six or seven, if that's where the Kings are at.
1: Well, I think there might be a team that in the, in that range that might consider him, but yeah, what you just said, um, it's, it's, if, if Martin Bagley could have shot better, that lineup would have been really great in college, but uh, Wendell Carter is a solid shooter, but they just, they could not hang defensively. And, and they're both low big men. I'm trying to think of a team that would be a great fit for Wendell Carter.
0: I'm looking at the top ten right now.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, the Bulls might.
1: Yeah. Carter and Markenet? I like that. Yeah, I like that offensively. I don't know that I love it defensively. Carter and Porzingis? But, um, you know what I really like next to Porzingis is Miles Bridges. I love that. Yeah, that like, would be real that's fun. That's a vi- that's a situation where if I was New York, I would take Miles uh, over McCall.
0: Miles in New York just would be
1: uh, Miles playing with Porzingis, just, just move Porzingis to center and Miles to power forward. Oh, those guys fit so well with each other. That would be great.
0: We've talked about it with Jaron Jackson already, but sometimes it's hard, at least I find it hard, to really determine how good some of these big guys are when they play with such dominant teammates. Like Marvin Bagley got... Significantly yeah. more touches than well. Wendell Carter. If if a team is in one of these top ten teams are incredibly high on Wendell Carter because they believe his potential was kind of stifled playing with uh, Marvin Bagley, I wouldn't be shocked that that happens from time to time where these you know NBA GMs think that a guy is better than he showed in college. And I feel like with Carter, there's some potential there that it's like, well, you know, what? Let's say he's let's say he's the number one option in the front court. I don't know if I would project him being that way, but if people smarter than me seem high enough on Carter where I at least leave the door open for him to be better than kind of what I think at, at this moment.
1: I I agree. There's a lot of smart people out there that are higher on Carter than I am, but it, 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 the difference between him and Jaron Jackson Jr., who, like you said, was also stifled by playing next to dominant big men, was is on defense. Yeah, for like, sure. Yeah, Jaron Jackson Jr. Is, was just insane on defense. Like, I, I keep throwing this stat out. He's held opponents to twenty five point seven percent shooting. That's just nuts for a freshman. Sixteen best best in the country, and he's playing in one of the <laughs> better good. conferences. That's insane. Yeah, that's pretty good. And he's a better. He's he's a, he might be my favorite outcome for the Kings. I mean, besides landing the top pick and getting Doncic. Um, Just because, like, we're all the other guys. Bamba, Aiton, Bagley are all hypothetical shooters or hypothetical rim protectors to one degree or another. Those two things aren't hypothetical, Jackson. He truly is. We already know he's a great shot blocker. And just from this insane amount of of usage, uh, usage he got out on the perimeter, we know he's a good shooter. And and, and those two things separate him from the other big men
0: to me. Uh, let's end the podcast on this question from Awesome756 on Twitter. Uh, what it basically boils down to is, who do you think is most likely to be a king on draft night, and uh, who would you pick? We're obviously saying this on April 5th, we don't know the draft order yet, but some early projections there. Most likely, and who would you pick?
1: Um, if the Kings are at six I would take whichever one of I would take whichever one of Porter Jaron Jackson Jr. or Bagley fell if one of those three guys fell I would take one of those guys Um, otherwise I would take McAlberges
0: I'm thinking now because odds are one of those guys falls you know it's just a matter of determining which one
1: yeah if Porter or Jaron Jackson Jr. or Bagley fall, that's the guy you take. And otherwise, if those if, if the draft goes in that order, then I would take McCow. But and I'm gonna give my hat to you because I know you're the biggest Miles Bridges fan in the Kings fandom, I would not be upset if they take Miles Bridges there.
0: Uh did you give me a most likely I know it's a tough one too. Um, Like just like the the way like predicting how it's going to shake out. You're most likely.
1: I don't know if this is this is what I really think, or if it's just because I'm so high on him. But I think McCall is the most likely. See, I was going to say what they need on both ends.
0: I was going to say him is most likely too. It feels like his stock is is rising, like right at six or seven. Like it feels like, and
1: the Kings and the Kings like winners. Like
0: (laughs) how many of the Justin Justin, Jackson, Justin Jackson,
1: Jackson. yeah. yeah. Justin Jackson won. Yeah, they love winners.
0: And they like, you know, they like the the bigger programs. Villanova's not like Duke or UNC big. Or maybe they are, I don't know. But I mean Villanova's a that's a, a very respected college program. Um they like guys from the big bigger schools like that.
1: Fingers crossed. <laughs> like that's a that's a jersey I get immediately.
0: Yeah, you would have to, I think. I think for all you've talked about. I you'd have so. to they should yeah. send you one actually. They never sent
1: me my uh, Aaron Gordon jersey.
0: Who was supposed to send you
1: that? If the Kings had taken him. Like, I was, oh, okay. he was my draft crush that year.
0: Uh, Willie was my <laughs> draft crush. Willie was probably my last oh. real big draft crush. Uh, and that didn't... I don't... I, uh, well, I shouldn't say it didn't work out, but it's still we're still figuring that one
1: out. <laughs> he was my draft crush that year, too. I don't know what that says about my evaluation skills. <laughs>
0: Hey, I'll give you credit. You got Dennis Smith. I, I, I got to give you credit for that one every time mm-hmm. because that wasn't a, that wasn't yeah. an obvious guy, and he's like what one of the top five rookies this year. So
1: yeah, well, his, 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 there was a great um, fan post on SDR the other day comparing Fox and Dennis Smith, and and you guys should go read that. But he's not shooting well. Like he needs to prove that he can be an efficient scorer. And I know that this year is a lost cause, so it doesn't really matter just let the guy take shots. Yeah, right? Dallas is just gonna have him, to
0: like not... Dallas is giving him free range yeah. to do whatever he wants. Yeah. That has to change in the future if he's going
1: to become the best version of himself.
0: All right, Brian. Uh, thanks for joining the podcast again.
1: Of course, Tony. Thanks for having me and uh, thanks for keeping this up. And uh, I really appreciate Jill coming on because Jill makes the rest of... It, puts the rest of uh,
0: your guests to shame. All right, man. We'll talk soon. All right. Later. Bye. I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready for a university that will help me advance in my education and career.
1: A university that will make me feel supported and connected.
0: I'm ready for ODU Online. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today.
1: I'm ready to make my credits count.
0: I'm ready to take classes from a university that will help me build on my experience to prepare me for the future. A
1: university that will make me feel supported, encouraged, and connected.
0: Click this ad or go to
1: online.odu.edu today.